to Jelly Trumpet. So our bonus track is Peter Friedman. Uh, we've had a lovely 12 minute, 12 question interview. Um, which brought up a number of things. One of which I liked most of all, which I'd like to go back to, was when I asked Peter about which three things will more help him be more creative. And he pointed out three and then four. Um, one being sleeping, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Walking, never to be underestimated. Making a cup of tea. I think when your brain, brain is else, elsewhere, like for me, it's, it's driving. I get quite a lot of ideas then. And then the paradox between having enough time and something that I'm quite keen on, which is time discipline and having deadlines. So, Peter, would you like to take us up on that? Have you had any particular ideas you've been very proud of while walking? Do you, do you get ideas every time you walk or is it only occasionally? Um. Well, I just had, I can't think of good specific examples, but I just have been conscious over the years. I do go for a long walk every day, and I think it's helpful if you kind of spend a period of sustained and intense thinking about the subject at hand and the problem at hand, and then go for a walk. So the kind of uh, the sustained and intense thinking is the preparation stage that really again is is feeding your sub subconscious and uh, putting meat in the meat grinder which i keep referring to although i'm actually a vegetarian but um and then going for a walk and then reaping the benefits because you're more relaxed and uh yeah and there's just a huge again there's a huge amount of evidence nietzsche said it most famously but i think there's endless other examples of much more uh you know much greater thinkers than i am not not to say i'm a great thinker but much more eminent minds mm. mind coming up with um you know good ideas while walking and i think sleep is arguably as important if not more important because it's i think sleep is a way of accessing your subconscious uh again if, uh, preferably if it's primed by preparation and educating yourself about the subject but the subconscious is the real engine and of of the process mm. and uh and i think there are stories about you probably know the stories about but well it's told about both thomas edison and salvador dali the same story i don't know whether it's true of both of them about how they used to um think about the subject they were the problem they were trying to solve and then they would try and get tired and they would sit in a chair or on a bed, but with some kind of ball bearings or something heavy or marbles in their hands. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And, yes. and that they would supposedly, you know, wait till when they fell asleep, the ball bearings or marbles would fall out of their hand and, and then they would be able to access that kind of window between waking and sleep mm. where they could then supposedly uh, i've never tried that but anyway no, i just think I, kind of the, the the threshold between when you're sleeping and awake when you're just falling asleep or just waking up is often a very good uh, i think you, you know I think that's absolutely true for creators i think you can induce it 
you know, I did a lot of um, mime and physical theatre, and I did a mask workshop once where you yes. were induced into a character by the use of masks. I won't go into the detail of it at the moment, but it was very clear that your mind was in a different state of consciousness. And for me, when I write for many years, and I've repeated this story, I used to play a particular song, which was um, the Verve's Bittersweet Symphony. And it starts, it has an intro, etc. And then these violins kick in. And for some yeah. reason, and I mean for many years, it must have been six, seven, maybe eight years, every time I put on that track, I would be induced into the writing state. And then it stopped working and I had to find other stuff. But I think that's very yeah. important. That is very interesting. Yeah, well, music can be a great source of inspiration, obviously, as well. So, yes, I think that's another. I think another... And practice and practice, Peter, because what you were telling us earlier in the interview is you do a huge amount of preparation. Yes. It's a very, do you know the name Jean Perrette? I, it sounds vaguely familiar, but probably you probably will recognize it. Jean Perrette was the head comedy sure. writer for head, head of the team. So uh, you broke up a bit there, Peter. Yeah. Jean Perrette was the um, chief of the writers for Bob Hope. Ah. And you, you alluded in your interview to, as a youngster, listening to joke, uh, reading um, joke books and listening to comedians. And Jean Perrette, there's two very interesting things. He's, I think you can still buy it. It's called the Comedy Writing Workbook. I spent ages trying to track that down, and I got it on Amazon Marketplace once, and I still haven't finished the damn thing, but it's great. And there's yeah. two things in there that he says, which I think is always relevant for creatives and the connection you may make between comedy and creativity. And that yeah. is, one is the quota system. So he would, well, you normally say to someone, go off and come back with some ideas, they'll come up with five or six. He would say, put 20, say 25, say 50, because it pushes you further and further. Yes. Um, and the other that. thing he um, alluded to was something that I've done uh, quite a lot is just to build lists, lists of quite diverse things. Because he yes. says, and I think the term he says is it's comedy comes from rubbing two ideas together. Yes, and well, the creativity does as well. Yes, I mean, they are to a large extent, not always, but they have just have an awful lot in common. Yes, they're very, yeah, it's about making surprising and unusual connections between two things that are not normally connected. That's mm -hmm. is a good, good uh, and, and with comedy, it has to be funny, with creativity, it often is funny but doesn't have to be so yeah no, it just has to be original true. have you have you ever read any of edward de bono books uh i went to a talk by him and i know of his work but i'm not sure whether i've read any of his books i don't, I don't think i have but yeah i know about his work because i was a big fan when i started out when i started out writing because i wanted to be a stand-up comedian and and how how an idea has come about and the one, he was famous, of course, for his book about lateral thinking and all manner of other stuff. The man's very, very bright. Um, but there's one in particular I like, which is called The Six Thinking Hats. And yes. so that's about the different forms of thinking and they're colour coded. Yeah. And you can literally, in schools, they'll sometimes do this. They'll have the six coloured hats and give them to a pupil and the pupil has to take that form of thinking. Like, for example, with a blue hat on, it's big thinking, it's strategy thinking, blue yeah. sky thinking. With green, it's creative. And yeah. with, say, yellow, it's all about optimism. 
So that's a great thing about the thinking and the mind and the human and how the different types of thinking there are, which just blew my mind when I first read it. One of the other things I think to finish off that I'd like to pick up with you was, and it greatly surprised me, was the, um, the connection you made between machine learning, AI, and, um, and humans and the difference. And you were of the opinion that one day it will be possible for machines to think creatively. Is that, is that what you think? Well, my son works for an AI company, so I learn about a lot about AI from him. But there is, um, well, I do, not everybody agree, agrees as widely different opinions, but one vision which many people think is that there will come a point where machines can do everything we can do and, and you know, eventually can do it better. But um, there, yeah, but we're some way from that and people disagree on how soon that will come. But I mean, um, currently they can't, again, I went to a talk, Marcus de Sotoy, the mathematician and uh, kind of public intellectual and scientist, he wrote a book about AI and creativity. And um, I went to a talk by him and I think he was saying about how machines are very good at kind of mimicking they they can uh, mimic and copy, but they're so they, they they can you know you you can get a painting that's very closely in the style, and and they could write in the style of a novelist or or a comedian or something, but I say in a novel level they're not really good at plots and the good big picture and everything mm. yet. They they can write, they can mimic the style of a particular writer very well. So anyway, it's a fast developing and fast changing area. So and machines can do various creative tasks spookily well, but the other bigger, more important ones that they can't yet do. But, but if I think, it's um, I think we're both safe, Peter, at the moment. You know, if you Well, for a while, for a while, but it Well, I think for a long while. I think for a long while. If you look up anyone, if you look Google um, about Google's AI project about writing poetry and read some of the poetry created by machine learning. Yeah, you know, you'll be well ahead and you'll be quite amused by that. Yes, but well, I, think, I suppose as in many areas, I think the, the medium term future will be human AI collaboration. And yeah. uh, then eventually the as, machine will take over. A, a lot more clever people than me that can work out how a computer can be random. Because that's a word yeah. in modern parlance where people say if it's offbeat, like that's the term I use, then that's random because you have a non sequitur, for instance. That's a sort of like the obvious example of that. Yeah, but I think it can be systematically random as well. There are. Yeah, you can yeah. do. You can do, I suppose. But then it's functional. Then there's no, it may be creative, but in terms of writing and what you're saying about plots, I don't see a machine, well, I suppose it's possible, anything's possible, isn't it? Having a personality that you want to read, to be able to create human characters where you anticipate what they're going to do, and that gives you uh, humour, and that gives you yeah. affection towards a character. Everything's possible, I suppose, Peter, but I just don't see it happening for a long time. Uh, well, I, let's, hope so. let's hope not. <laughs> I think we'll leave it on that note. Thank you very much again, Peter, for agreeing to be interviewed on Jelly Trumpet. Thank you. Hey, well, thank you very much for having me.